Ready as I'll ever be. Awesome. Have you ever worried that you might be the cool kid you wear the latest fashions on top of all the trends? Or have you ever worried you were too much in the mainstream, always so generic, more normal than your friends? Well, we've devised a test to put the rest your peers. There's no need to panic if you lend us your ears. Tonight you can't sleep easy after all that you've heard. Cause if you like the show, then you're probably a nut. And welcome to the latest episode of the It's Canon Podcast. It's Monday, and that means that we are talking about all things Mandalorian. We are talking about all things Mandalorian. Season 2, Episode 5, Chapter 13. That's right, here we are on the It's Canon Podcast. As always, we're your hosts. I'm Boris, and this week we are joined by Tyler. Hey, Baba Dupalipoo. And Phil. Hey, everybody. How's it going? And we have a special guest to talk about all things Mandalorian. He is the one, the only Storm Duper. Hey, how are you guys doing? Thanks for having me on. It's wonderful to be here in your studios. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right. As mentioned, we're going to be talking about all things Mandalorian. And what an episode. We're, we're so pumped to actually talk about this. So we're going to jump right into it. So without further ado, our tour guide for the episode is Phil. Hey, everybody. Yeah. And um, what an episode that was. I'd love to go around the, the table here and see what our reactions are. Are we positive about this episode? Are there maybe some things that we thought could have been done better? I'm going to give it right over to the man himself, Stormtrooper. What do you think, buddy? Well, I am just very disappointed uh, that the name of the baby does not start with Y. I have been getting myself hyped out for the last you know year, coming up with all kinds of Y names. And I feel discriminated against that they decided to go with a gr name. That's not what I was expecting. And I'm done with this show. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I really liked it. You know, I was never a huge Clone Wars fan, but um, I thought they captured Ahsoka really well. That opening scene was just killer. Um, loved the visuals. I used to live in Asia, so I saw a lot of similarities with uh, the architecture, with the wall, you know, a lot of kind of ancient Chinese stuff going on there, which, you know, samurai, all that uh, really worked for me. Um, Plot-wise, I thought it was a bit thin. Uh, it's sort of like, uh, let me go in the gate, and then le let me come out of the, the castle, and then let me go back in the castle and go back in. You know, there wasn't too much happening there, um, but I didn't think it was supposed to be that kind of episode. Um, this is a more dramatic episode where we get backstory, we get plotting, uh, you know, sort of exposition about what's going to happen and what did happen. So I, I didn't mind that too much. I think that you need episodes like that sometimes. So, yeah, I was overall, I, I liked it. I thought the effects were good. Um, a few weird moments, uh, a couple of people I talked to, a director, a friend of mine said, you know, and I kind of agreed with them, the, the trees looked amazing, but that wall, something was weird about that wall, uh, is a bit flat or something. I don't know if they rendered that, uh, last minute, but, um, yeah, overall, I, I think I, I have nothing to complain about. I really enjoyed it. 
Awesome. Yeah. I I'm I'm feeling a lot of what you just said there. Boris, what you what do you think of it all? Overall, I liked it. I watched it again, you know, as you know, up early. Well, didn't sleep on Friday, Thursday morning, Thursday night, Friday morning. Uh so I watched it right away when it came out. I really enjoyed the episode for what it was. Um, you know, taking a look at it on the surface of things, it did exactly what it needed to do. Um, one thing though that you know, I think this show, Mandalorian in general, needs to be a little careful on is being the backdoor pilot for um, a bunch of shows. Uh, it's awesome seeing these characters. It's awesome that, you know, they're, we're seeing the live action version of Ahsoka and other characters like that. But, you know, having backdoor pilots can be a very dangerous thing. And this, essentially, this is turning into, you know, a, a, a Mandalorian and Friends type show. Uh, and then, you know, we're going to see what happens after. But overall, you know, on the surface of things, I really like the episode a lot. Yep. And Tyler, what do you think, I, buddy? I mean, you and I were talking a little bit before we jumped on the call, Phil. And, and I think that it speaks a little bit to where we're coming from. I loved the episode. It was Maximum Kurosawa. And I think that... I understand where Boris is coming from, but I don't think they're back to I don't think this is any of this is backdooring a spin-off. I think that they are building to something in this plot. Right. And 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 I can see that because we also know all the rumors and whatnot that are circulating about the idea that Ahsoka is gonna get her own live action show. Yeah. And this is the starting point for that and you know, possibly involving you know, Thrawn and Ezra, that type of thing. Uh, I know we'll get into it as we discuss the episode about, you know, eventualities and whatnot. But I think that I would agree with Tyler in in the sense that for me, this episode just was a quintessential kind of idea of what Star Wars can be from from a really artistic point of view. And it's not too highly paced. It had its own pacing. It had its own character introductions. It had its own shifting and i think that those characters serve the story well it's really reliant on them to continue the story whatever spin-offs happen happen and as much as they're green lit now possibly they could just be something that dies in a boardroom or on a script a page of script where they go yeah eh, we just don't feel that this show is really going to qualify for what we want to do we don't know until we see production start up right so yeah, we have to be careful about those rumors. But I was a big two thumbs up for this episode, but, you know, it was couched right at me. So <laughs> I have to accept that. <laughs> um, but we'll get right into it. Uh, as as Duper was pointing out, there's an awful lot that happens in this episode. And we open up immediately with Ahsoka, you know, doing that whole thing with the lightsabers on, the lightsabers off. Similar to, I think it was a Clone Wars, where... Obi-Wan or maybe it was Phantom Menace there was some scenes where they were using the lightsabers as beacons and and ways of deceiving the enemy and the reason why just in case people don't know Ahsoka has white lightsabers is in the novel she eliminates a um, an inquisitor and basically the same way that the Sith bleed a, a crystal to red she basically bleached these crystals they became white so as we saw in the finale of Clone Wars, she abandons her blue lightsabers at that point, which she had green before. 
It's also confusing in the Clone Wars universe. <laughs> um, she bleached them, bleached them, a white, 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 whitewashed them. I hate to say that, but it's, yeah. <laughs> no. I, the only word I can come up with is bleaching because I'm like, if they bleed to red, right? right. <laughs> then I'm thinking they have to bleach to white. Like, <laughs> right, right. Like, I don't know. That's a little bit of creative um, color interpretation. And we immediately get right into it with the characters like the magistrate is there, Morgan Elsbeth, which is played by Diana Lee uh, in Santo, who is a goddaughter of Bruce Lee. And her father was a huge martial arts guy. And yeah, so we also get introduced to Michael Bean from Aliens Terminator Deadwood as well, which is another Deadwood kind of notch on the Mandalorian's um, uh, headboard. <laughs> if if you will and yeah like three so or she, four at least right yeah we're at three or four because timothy oliphant there's there's just been a lot this season right but it's 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 a good place to draw from right at least they know what they're getting and they know that they fit into that star wars space western and yeah so we get the the ultimate like they've got 24 hours to you know the ultimatum from ahsoka Right. And I, I really like the bell in this in this episode, like this scene as well, like the alarm and, and just the urgency that that created and that vibe. Right. Like 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 Duper was talking about where you have this Asian kind of city. Right. And you have, it's juxtaposed against this. um This kind of dead forest of Corvus. What did you guys think of that opening? How, how did you how did you enjoy it or not? Uh, Boris, take a shot. Yeah, overall, great opening. We jump right into the action. Um, I was pleasantly surprised that we start right away. We get everything that we wanted right away. And we get in pretty awesome action scenes. So even if you're new to the Ahsoka character, you know, it's like, boom, here's your introduction. Um, you know, she, 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 basically, here's this badass Jedi and... We're going to show you exactly what she's about. So that was kind of cool. Um, and overall, yeah, I kind of like the, the 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 setting up of the of the scene that they kind of did, like from a visual point of view. Um, it was really good. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, well, yeah, it just got me right into the the episode. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was good. It was a good start overall. Mm hmm. Duper. I know you kind of touched on it in the opening there, so <laughs> yeah, well, you, were, you weren't happy with that wall, right? Well, yeah, that's sort of you know throughout the whole uh, uh, episode, we see this wall behind behind them that there's something f weird and flat about that. Um, that was really my only complaint, though. I mean, that that opening scene, I thought incredible art direction, cinematography. I don't know how they shot that. I mean, I'm sure a lot of it took place in the volume, but there's this one shot that's still kind of in my mind. If you remember, it's when Ahsoka, there's a shot from her perspective, like a first person shot, the camera kind of like zooms in around it. And it's like, sort of like, she's like a Raptor, like attacking that soldier guy. Mm -hmm. um, and I, that shot is really shaky and strange, which I which I thought was really cool, but I, it sort of had a digital quality as well to it. And I just I couldn't decide what I thought of that shot. Did, it's not very Star Wars to do a sort of first person attack shot, but yeah. I, I kind of liked it. I thought it was creative. Yeah, yeah I think I, Dave's like digging into that cartoon. Sorry, Tyler. No, yeah, to jump on that. I, I liked a lot of the kind of 
twist, the Mandalorian-esque twist on Ahsoka, really, you know, not just doing what we see in the original trilogy of Jedi, just kind of like, well, the sword comes out, and then we have a duel, and then that's how that goes. If this being, like, we're, we're leaning more into that, you know, it has, like, lightsabers has a lot of uses, and turning it off to not be seen is a clever thing that I don't think we see enough of in, like, the main movies. Yeah, it, it really spoke to, like, um, a kind of stealth thing. And I also really enjoyed that one shot where she took the two sabers and she cut the tree. And then she pushed the piece of the tree to take a guy out. And then the tree falls over. Right. The I just thought the that, tree, that shot. Yeah. yeah. When you actually slow it down, it's really easy to miss because you're just so overwhelmed with the visuals that are happening on screen. But when you start watching it, you start realizing how much she's really manipulating her environment mm-hmm. in this fight. I thought that that really, it wasn't just like, let's just go cut him down like Vader would in Rogue yeah. One, per se. Yeah, It was more like, let's use this environment. Let's take these trees. And like when you really ice with a shot down, I was just like, wow. That I, You know, it's stuff you only see in the cartoons. She's a lumberjack and she's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I also I thought. That. Just to just to add this, but it, it really helped reinforce this, like, she has no one has her back. Like She doesn't have a back to tank she gets to go to if she gets messed up here. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot more of, like, that scrappy uh, freedom fighter type aesthetic and approach to things. Right. That was really cool. Yeah, all good points. Now, we, we move on and basically we see the child being fixated on the knob and we get Din Jarden kind of conversing with the with the child at this point because we haven't learned the name and honestly this is spoiler heavy so we all know it's Grogu (laughs) (laughs) but he's fixated on the knob which to me I was a little bit disappointed that we're going back to the freaking knob like I'm I'm just cynical me comes up and goes man they're trying to sell that Lego set with the knob but really it it comes down to being an element in in the story which was used quite well but Again, Din is able to communicate to to the child, which I thought was interesting because he's it's really upped in this season. And in this episode, we get some explanations on how some communication is happening with the child, which brings about a whole bunch of other questions for me. But, you know, we see the, the Razor Crest landing. We see that call out to Yavin 4 with uh, or with uh, episode four on Yavin when they use that gun. I just thought it was like a really standout like call out to to that. And then we basically get Mando coming into the city um, saying that he's part of the guild, which I don't know if that's entirely accurate, but I guess he's bluffing a little bit in, in the sense that but maybe he is. Maybe grief has readmitted his status. I don't know. But uh, we get him going into town, trying to talk to some people. People are basically like, hey, look, don't talk to us please and then he's summoned to the magistrate um i don't know what what were you what were you guys thoughts on on the city duper i know that you have previous experience with some of this stuff as far as influence what do you think of the city overall the layout the the stylized um the buildings all that kind of stuff I loved it. I mean, I think Tyler, you're talking about Kurosawa earlier. Um, I got a very much like Roshaman, like dingy, broken down Asian kind of samurai city vibe. Uh, I thought it was really on point. I loved 
the the blends because see Star Wars is always about blending old with new for me you know the the mm-hmm. new technology with the old broken down dystopian world and I think that the samurai vibe really lends itself to it um, those those get the the characters who are like don't talk to us don't you know whatever I got almost a vibe of like a like a communist regime you know and like a secret mm-hmm. society like everyone's like checking up on you almost like a North Korean kind of thing where you have to be really careful and everything's your whole life is in control from this like one person who lives like a, a queen basically with her nice lily pads and garden um so mm-hmm. for me all that worked I, I really enjoyed that um and then i also thought that the the um cages that they had built were were just amazing you, you know you see pictures in the past of like old asian style torture devices and and those were just completely inspired from some of that stuff and also connected to clone wars from what i've i've read as well so yeah incredible design uh really really believable world that he enters there uh, my only question is why is the magistrate here like that's the one thing yeah. i didn't really understand um so- like why does she care so much about controlling these 100 like rice farmers you know? so, so my impression was that it was you know we're, we're in this era of the empire is crumbling and again to, to lean on kurosawa a lot of what he did was you know warring states period and she doesn't seem to have like a huge military and you know it's better to be the queen of your own little tiny corner than to be a cog in someone else's machine yeah that's that the makes vibe sense. i got um, especially when you get that little bit of stuff from Ahsoka later. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I was, and I also found that that was a big juxtaposition as well with how tailored and, and, and awesome her inner courtyard was in comparison yeah. to the squalor outside. Again, very much a, you know, Asian, uh, 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 Kurosawa, that type of thing where it was just like, it's showing the desperation of the people. And that's a really good point about the oppression and whatnot, because even even the way that that scout guard stared the guy down, you could really read the uncomfortableness, like how that guy was like almost like begging for his life without saying anything. He's just bowing his head and just saying, please move on. And yeah, to your point as well about the cages, yeah, I, uh, I had sent out a little bit of a thing to the guys and I actually have a screen grab from um, from Rebels where Hera is basically in the same type of contraption with Grain Admiral Thrawn torturing her from the last episode there, one of the last episodes. So uh, these things have been used. And again, I, I applaud Dave Filoni for paying attention to his own canon and implementing these things into real life, like, you know, real filming. So Presumably thought, that's how Thrawn rolls. Like he just he, he puts people in these cages wherever he goes to control them. Right? It certainly <laughs> looks pretty sinister at this point, doesn't it? <laughs> it's like his calling card, like the Joker, you know, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Look, some people are going to leave behind little Joker cards. Some people are going to leave behind lines of people in cages. <laughs> Exactly. It also had almost like a feel of like the, you know, the impaling they did like with like Dracula and like all that, too. So Mm -hmm. I I just there's a lot of little elements here and little details and you have to watch it several times to pick up on them. My eyeballs are definitely tired. Yeah. And you know what? Like I I picked up off of a, a really close screen grab that these things were electrocuting the people in the same way like the emperor's lightning was was showing Darth Vader's skull. There's actually a shot of the guy's skull showing when the zaps are hitting him, when Mando is like right in front of him. So these things look very, very uncomfortable. And I just thought it was funny too, 
because the next time we see them in those cages, the guy is incredibly well behaved in it. Like it's, it's like I've had enough zaps. I know what I can and cannot do. <laughs> so we get we basically get Mando talking to the magistrate. She kind of hires him, right? Like I'm, I'm she's just kind of like, hey, go out, get this Jedi for me and you can have this Beskar staff or you can have mm. the staff. What do you think of it? You know, and Mando does the whole I thought it was a really cool sound that they made when he banged his his like arm and it was just like the armor and it made that resonant kind of effect. I thought that was pretty cool. And I thought they did that a few times in the episode to great effect to just really mm -hmm. highlight the uh, the importance of the staff. And it also sets up and it follows through on what we saw in the Bo-Katan episode where the Beskar is extremely resilient to lasers. Right, like like Mando going down that aisle and throwing the grenades and whatnot, and we're like, oh man, this Beskar, it looks like a hurt, but it yeah. still stood up to it. Well, we get the ultimate payoff in this episode, seeing it mm -hmm. react against lightsabers, right? Yeah. They've and definitely really... built up... Oh, sorry. No, oh, ahead. no, go ahead. They've definitely built up the Beskar this season way more than last season, whereas like last season, it was just like, oh, they like it because it's their religion or whatever, you know, and it, it's cool. It works well. But I mean, we've seen now that it has special properties kind of like, although I'm, I'm kind of like weird about it. I don't know if I've accepted this, you know, that Beskar is sort of like lightsaber kryptonite now, you know, yeah. I, I just don't know how I feel about that innovation because we haven't seen anything really similar to that except for like maybe in, uh, I think, um, Revenge of the Sith, there were those, those four staffs that kind of could deal with lightsabers and in force awakens um one of those yeah. troopers had a, has a thing but yeah. it's sort of like super powered now and it has a vibe too of like unobtainium or vibranium kind vibranium. of like captain yeah. america and so i, I don't want to say it's derivative i mean it's it's classic it's mythological but i just lightsabers have always had that special place of being so powerful and this sort of in a way diminishes that too so i i don't yeah. know if i can really get behind that 100 percent yet yeah, I'm picking up what you're laying down. It's going to be interesting to see if it's like, oh, well, it's only the um, this section because it has some underlying lattice or some whatever justification they have to limit it a little bit. Or if they bring back that bit from um, Rebels, where Beskar has that real big downside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but to the point, though, it's we always know that the Mandalorians and the Jedi were kind of not compatible for a long time so the mandalorians a lot of their weapons and a lot of their tactics are derived to counter the jedi mm -hmm. so i think making this beskar kind of resistant to the lightsabers makes total sense i just wish that they would have fleshed it out a little bit better before getting to this point and then making these proclamations and, and visually setting them up because it would have been like nothing to do it in even Clone Wars, Rebels, whatever. There was a lot of opportunity to do this. And it stands to the same point about, you know, which they tried to explain with the Bo-Katan thing and the different factions in the Mandalorian kind of uh, uh, creed is that some Mandalorians could take their helmets off. They always have. You know what I mean? We go back to Clone Wars and we watch yeah. the Tar Vizslas and everybody else and they're just like, the mask is off, the mask is on, we don't care. Now yeah. we've got this, you know, watch where it's like, okay, we follow this rule. <laughs> well, not to beat the best guard to death, but I mean that that shot when he blocks her lightsabers, I think is a is a a hero shot. I mean that's a great yeah. shot, it, fantastic. So cinematically, I loved it. 
but again it's just it's it's like my brain my my nerd brain won't turn off and it's like well why didn't jedi have uh you know armed guards made of beskar and like all these other questions come to mind i guess but um it makes sense i mean i'll accept it this is a show it's not reality and I think I think that we're we're going to find out as well in the history of Mandalore and whatnot the the true scarcity of this because we do have to yeah. realize that throughout this entire show, I know Mando is rolling in Beskar like literally head to toe right, mm-hmm. but he has, you know, gone against a lot of his own principles in in terms of the guild to get his hands on this Beskar, yeah. and knowing like almost everybody who sees him goes, holy crap, look at that Beskar, let's try and kill him, and get the the armor. Then we'll be rich. That is so. You know, it is. It's a beacon, right? It's like he's in constant peril due to it, which he was warned about by the armor. She's like, "You're going to get attention, and it might not be the wanted attention." So I I think that they've done an okay job with that. It's just makes me scratch my head about some of the other Baskar out there. Like, why doesn't he paint it (laughs) or whatever to make it a little less? So. Yeah, so there's there's two bits for me to jump in on this because I've just been doing a quick bit of refreshing myself. So we do have canonically in the Clone Wars that Beskar only comes from Mandalore and one of the moons. Yeah. And it has basically not been found anywhere else. Um, and then in turn, the Empire took a bunch of it. Uh, yeah. The other side being, it really looks like Filoni is going into the what the now Legends canon and you know, extracting some of the best of because they had, what is it, Mandalore crush gauntlets that could help stop a lightsaber, but it had to be micronized or whatever. Like you had to do a process mm-hmm. um, and it was it was only the plates that could still go between it. So it's going to be really interesting to see what they do and don't take for that old canon. Yeah, and it's always been alluded to the fact that the Empire mined Mandalore to the point where the planet split. Or there's some kind of environmental catastrophe. Mm-hmm. And that, that's keeping a lot of the Mandalorians away, obviously, from, from returning to their home world. But as we, you know, kind of found out in the previous episodes, that might just be propaganda. We don't mm-hmm. know. But Boris, what are your thoughts on all this stuff, man? You've been quiet. Yeah. <clears throat> Is it um, the hangover? No, 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 no. It's making sure we're recording, making sure the levels are good. <laughs> uh, but overall... <laughs> Too much Spotchka last night. <laughs> um, no, overall, I it, it was it was it was fun to see, and I'm like I watched it more as a fan more than anything else. Um, I watched the episode twice. Uh, you know, I didn't get too deep into the analysis portion of it uh, this week because I just really wanted to enjoy what we saw, um, and you know all the points. And I think one one thing you know watching this as a fan is they did a really good job of trying to kind of explain, okay, you know, the Beskar armor is powerful, can go up against lightsaber. Um, So, you know, as a fan, you're already trying to think, oh, so then, you know, there's more to this than than meets the eye. Uh, You know, they... The way they introduced the city, the way that they introduced the magistrate, the way that, you know, the, the episode is being built, it was kind of really well done in this small little scope of, four, you know, 47 minutes or whatever, um, you know, and, and to the point where we are right now, uh, you know, I think they did a really good job of kind of setting the plot 
um, you know, and as little or as much plot, you know, one thing I have seen in terms of fan reaction is a lot of people talking kind of like, you know, how Mandalorian has little forward movement. Um, you know, I don't personally agree with that, but, you know, as a fan, I can kind of see because, you know, each episode has the scope, um, and, and it, while it doesn't seem like a lot's happening, you know, here we are recording, you know, 60 to 90 minutes every week about a 40 minute episode. I know I say that every week, but, you know, it just goes to show you how much thought, how much goes in, how much can be picked up, um, you know, week over week. Uh, but, you know, this episode in particular did a really good job, in my opinion, of creating kind of the world within the world. Um, and it was just really fun and entertaining up to you know kind of where we are right now in our discussion analysis so you know it was it was it was just really well done um is what i'm trying to say and as yeah i think we can yeah. move on to 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 more yeah and <laughs> I, something i'm going to point out here is that the child was pretty cleverly hidden by din <clears throat> during this whole kind of walk through the town and and especially in dealing with the magistrate and then finally, when he's being given the coordinates to go find Ahsoka, he's, he's, you know, the, the child makes a noise and the lieutenant kind of looks at it and is like, oh, what's that? And he's, oh, I keep it around for luck. And it's like, oh, you're going to need it. Believe me, where you're going, you're going to need it. And then we get to that iconic that Duper was talking about, right? Like that, that kind of walk out into the forest. Now, there was an Easter egg in, in here that the internet is starting to wake up to. And that was that there was the owl that was up in the branch on the left-hand side of the screen, which is basically a call out to Morai, which is the, um, the force daughter that the light daughter that saved Ahsoka's life in the clone wars. And she became a spirit animal and we see her in rebels. We see her in the clone wars on that final shot. When, um, when Vader is standing over Ahsoka's sabers, there's an owl that's flying above Darth Vader. And, you know, we see her in the World Between Worlds episode because the the owl comes and rests on Ahsoka's hand during that episode. So that was a deep nerd cut. I, I don't know. I guess it's contested as well that it could just be an owl, but it doesn't look like that's the type of environment that an owl, like there's no accident. It was, it was put there on shots. purpose. It was 100% yeah. put there on purpose. It is. Yeah. It is more. I like. I. I can't see why there's any reason to think it's not. I mean, Filoni is a master of that kind of call out and and call back to Star Wars lore and canon and things that have already been developed ahead of time. So, if that was just stuck in there by some, uh, uh, you know, kid in India doing CGI renders for Lucasfilm, I will be. I'll eat my helmet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's true. I, I know. And that that's basically what we're all falling back on. And I, I, I agree 100%. Like, I'm like, that does not accidentally get put there. And just yep. considering it's Dave, like, you know, I'm surprised he didn't have a wolf running around the background for this. But, um, <laughs> you know, and, that, and we get to that fight, right? And I don't know, like, I definitely got the feeling that Din Jarden was getting his ass kicked. Like, he was in full defense mode. For this thing, you know, blocking the lightsabers, trying every trick in his book. He even broke out the fire, you know, the flamethrower. He did everything. And then when Ahsoka's like really starting to come at him and just end it, he's just like, Ahsoka Tano, I, I know Bo Katan, you know, she sent me to talk to you. And 
then she immediately fixates on the child, right? Like she's just like, I hope you're coming here to talk about him. Right. And which leads into this huge Empire Strikes Back kind of feely moments for me. I know that I had to stop this episode on my first watch through three times because I was emotionally compromised. <laughs> I was just like, this is getting to be a little bit too much for even me to digest in one sitting. Like I, I need to just shake it off a little bit and go back and take a look. Um, what you guys like Duper pointed out. It's a huge amount of like hero shots in this too. Right, like it, I screen grabbed the the two lightsabers coming off and the arms, kind of blocking it off. What are your thoughts on all this? Were you guys on the emotional roller coaster, or was it kind of like, oh, this is cool, yeah, whatever? <laughs> I don't yeah, know. I, I can really, see it going both ways. I really like this one. Yeah, duper. I I thought it was. Uh, I mean, it, it worked for me. I'm not. I'm not going to say that I was on the emotional roller coaster just because I'm not a huge, huge Clone Wars person in general. Um, so I think that you know, it takes me. It takes me some time to sort of get into this vibe that like you know, Ahsoka's live action now. Uh, that that is something that you know I'm going to have to kind of spend some time with, I guess, to really accept it. Because um, for a long time, I just sort of looked at her as like that peripheral cartoon character um but i you know i i like the last few seasons of clone wars enough to that i was happy that she's in this show but um i think that i think there's so much that they've set up it's just i mean this is this is kind of the thing with this show right it just keeps you watching it, it sets up this little foundation that asks more questions than it answers and i mean i'm, I'm sure you've seen some of the memes with little baby grogu like on on uh, in the jedi council like hiding from anakin and all that hilarious stuff that people have done um but it, i mean it makes sense to me that that he has a a mysterious background and that we see some of his force powers, uh, you know, with Ahsoka. Um, and she brings up that line of like, you know, I can see, I don't know how, how far you want to go with this, but you know, when she's talking about, I can see his, his anger, I can see all this stuff. Mm. Yeah. You, you're getting mm. a lot of callbacks to Anakin and, and to other force users in the past. So yeah, I mean, I could, I definitely felt emotional during it. Um, but I also was sort of asking so many questions about how, how did he escape? How, where did he end up going? Like who saved him that it was also hard for me to sort of engage a hundred percent with that too, because I just mm -hmm. thought it was a little bit surprising that they mm -hmm. decided to, to go with him as like a trained force user. Cause I, I just always got this vibe that he was like this mysterious creature who happens to know the force, but has no training whatsoever. And he's just a baby. Now it's sort of like, no, no, he's just, he has a narcissistic personality disorder or he's schizophrenic <laughs> or multiple personalities. And he's been suppressing that part of who he is, but no, he's really a trained Jedi. I don't know. I, I'm not sure if I, if I completely bought into all that yet. Well, I don't think, at any point did I get the feeling that he's a Jedi per se. I just know that he was a youngling being trained, right? Mm -hmm. And well, right. He's a trained battle, though. Yeah, he has had training. Put it that way. I don't know how far that training gets. I don't know what kind of you know, it's pretty arguable there's gonna be personality disorder whenever you have to go into hiding. You know, as <laughs> as she she comes forward and she's like, There's a dark time in this kid. Like like he's mm -hmm. blocked a lot of stuff. And that's probably made him because I know a lot of people on the internet are like, well, if he lives to be 900 years old and he's 50 now, he should be acting a little more advanced than he is because he's basically <laughs> acting like a toddler, right? 
And it's like, yeah, but you're going to get people stuck like that if they're like locked away from people, mm-hmm. right? If this kid's in a lab being tested nonstop by the doctors and whatnot, then he's not going to really develop because he's not around language. He's not around building blocks that are probably important at that age. And he's suppressing his own force powers in order to blend in and survive, right? Mm-hmm. So his survival instincts kicked in during this time. But yeah, they opened up a whole bunch of questions for me because obviously Ahsoka tells him, you know, his name's Grogu. He trained on Coruscant and then he was basically uh, uh, taken out uh, on the Order 66 kind of time frame. So like, does Mace Windu come back and get him? Because as we've seen, the Emperor can survive the Death Star. <laughs> does Mace Window survive a window? That's been <laughs> like, yeah. one of the hottest rumors over the past few weeks is, you know, Mace Windu's um, fate and the fact that he probably, yeah. maybe, possibly did end up surviving that. Um, so, yeah, so it's funny that you bring that up now. I was waiting for the time to bring that up. But, yeah, that seems to be the hot rumor right now. I don't really read too much into it until I see it. But, um, yeah, it, it there, you know, for sure the fact, and I know we're going to touch on this in a little bit, but the fact that um, Ahsoka doesn't take the child in, the fact that, you know, we are back in, in, in adventure mode, I think that that goes to serve the fact that, you know, there's endless amount of possibilities right now with who may show up from Ezra to Mace to who knows who else. Yeah. I personally hope that they don't make it a Mace Windu thing. Honestly. Similar. I think that that's some pretty weak stuff if they do that. Like, honestly, it should either be the librarian who is eliminated in the comics shortly after Order 66 or when Darth Vader, like, gets his... He's one of his first kills, or she's mm-hmm. one of his first kills, um, in the comics at least. And I, I just think that it's hopefully Obi Wan or the librarian, because Obi Wan kind of cleaned out the palace afterwards. And you're talking about a creature that small. But yeah. I also would think that Anakin would have seen this creature and known that that youngling was around, because it might have been getting special training because. You know, I hate to use the M word, but the midichlorians are high with Yoda mm-hmm. species or that that species. And who knows? Maybe it's the bastard love child of Yaddle and Yoda. <laughs> right? Why does that feel a bastard? Well, okay, yeah, it's not a bastard. You're right. Like this is this is full on love child happening. You know, and and we do have instances with the Jedi where Jedi masters were allowed to procreate for the sake of their own species. This is canonized. So one of the guys on the Jedi Council was allowed to go and get his freak on because there were so few males that were left and females to advance their species. So Yoda could have been granted this exception and Lucas stays away from it, right? Like, because Yaddle disappears afterwards. We think she's dead because Vader fights her force ghost or something in a comic from what I saw. But in Jedi Fallen Order which would be happening in the timeline after this, she's referenced as being alive. And that Yoda about- asserted his prima nocta rights as head of the Jedi temple. <laughs> <laughs> Yaddle, he's like, you've taken a vow of celibacy. Mm, celibacy you have? No. Mm. Oh, geez. I, I, I mean, you wait. Can't, you can't write this stuff. Like, it's too wait, gruesome. But, no, 
Look, and then it ends up being some weird thing of like, no, there's like 18 genders in that race. And like, yeah, yeah. Yoda just has to like touch it once. And he's like, oh, poke. Well, I'm done here. <laughs> I really hope, I really, really hope for the sake of all of our souls that that uh, Lucasfilm does not go into depth about how this baby was created. <laughs> five episodes. It's taken us five episodes and we're talking about this, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but like the fan fiction scares me at this point because I'm like, some guy is going to be like, oh, yeah, and Yaddle bends over. <laughs> I mean, just the other side on. to be of that, of I had a, I was having a dirt moment there, but then I remember like he was trained on Coruscant, but that doesn't mean he was on Coruscant during the purge. Exactly. Right? Because we have eight confirmed survivors. Mm-hmm. Across like the, like the all of the canon definitely confirmed. Yeah, yeah like, like Keenan survived, Cal Kestis survived, and they also trained. I think Cal trained a little bit on Coruscant. Yeah, he did. Or also, he I mean, he could have just Star-Gen. once things went haywire and and things went south, he could have just gone into hiding on Coruscant for twenty yep. years and just you yeah. know roamed the streets. And who would have known he was a, a Jedi Padawan? I mean. Nobody, nobody necessarily would have known that, and so it might not have even been uh, Jedi who took him from the temple. I mean, there were other yep. people working there. There were That's all true. kinds of, you know, uh, I mean, it could have been even like somebody like, um, oh, what's his face, uh, uh, who who takes uh, who who adopts Leia. You know, it could have been uh, uh, Bail Organa. Yeah, it could have been Bail Organa or some of his henchmen who knew about him and had protected him or something. And then the Nikto species somehow kidnapped him or he gets a hold of him for ransom. Who who knows? I mean, there's so much there that they could delve into if they wanted to. This leads me to a question and that I kind of want to pose at this point. Um, Do you think we're going to get a lot more backstory? Uh, Do you think we're going to get explanations or do you think they're going to kind of leave that up in the air so that we, you know, we can discuss this? Like we are right now. Generally, the way Disney has approached Star Wars, I think, is set up the basic skeleton and then allow the other properties to fill in the yeah, gaps. And exactly. I, I don't see a reason why they would do it differently with this. So yep. I, I genuinely hope. All right. Because this is one thing that happened during Star Wars that we've all seen. And that is Force Awakens comes out and then we all go crazy trying to fill in that backstory and put all of our hopes that the next movie is going to answer. It's it's not going to serve the story as much as it's going to provide us with the backstory that we all want. Who are Ray's parents? You know, who who is who's what's going on and where and how did it happen? And that's not the point of the Star Wars universe. Right? The sto- the point of it is to move the story. Right? All these details are exactly what Duper is saying, left to be filled in either with books or other monetization methods for creatives to kind of expand upon and go, let's draw this or let's imagine it in a short story or a full novel, whatever we feel it's going to need to tell that story. Because when they're doing Obi-Wan Kenobi as a a show, it's going to serve a story. It's also going to be giving us that backfill, but it's going to, I think we're going to get into that, what we're already talking about here in that it's going to ask a lot more questions than it answers. Right. And then we're going to be right back into, well, how did Obi-Wan do this? And how did this happen? And then it's going to be more stuff. Yeah. I just hope that that's where it goes. I agree. I don't want to, I don't want the show to be trying to go back and figure out the conception of Grogu. 
or anything else that might be. And at the same time, you know, some there's some details that you just don't need that aren't important. Um, yep. You know, and 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 is that the right approach or the wrong approach? We can debate that for another few hours. Uh, but you know, it kind of allows the creatives right now to kind of just keep the story moving along. You know, we get the basics. Um, and it's kind of like, well, we're not going to be the suckers who have to figure this out in the overall canon. So, you know, good luck to, you know, Charles Soule or whomever has to write the comic or, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's true. And in the spirit of keeping the story going along, we have that kind of moment with Ahsoka saying that she can wordlessly communicate through the Force with Grogu. And she informs Din Jarden that his name is Grogu, which he says, and the child immediately reacts positively to. You know, it's kind of like when a puppy actually hears its name and recognizes it, and it's like tilting its head and ears are up. And she mentions about Yoda. She mentions, you know, she only knows Yoda. She didn't mention Yaddle, um, which I found a little bit weird. But then we have the musical reference just briefly of Yoda's theme. Which I thought was a nice touch. It it go you can miss it if you're not paying attention to it though. And she goes on to try and test Grogu, doing the rock thing, and then you know which was a huge call out to Empire uh, as well. And she's and she basically says, "I sense much fear in him." Again, a reference to Anakin Skywalker and the dangers of training someone who's maybe emotionally compromised in the ways of the Jedi and what it can eventually lead to. In that she doesn't want to see another Darth Vader. Because that was revealed in Rebels. That she figures out Darth Vader is Anakin. Um, and yeah. And we get Din coming in. And basically pulling out the little shifter knob. And getting the kid to use the force. Right. Like right in front of everybody. Which kind of Ahsoka takes as. Well, <laughs> the kid's your problem now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the way I read it. But hey. he seems to think there's a deal going on here. <laughs> oh, no, he was like, like, well, I'm done watching my hands off of this one, you know, off to the next adventure. Yeah, it was it was kind of funny because he's like, you know, they, they just kind of agree to basically um, deal with the, like help the child in whatever way they they leave it really loosely open. I notice the wording is very, very deliberate. And he talks about the fact that, okay, well, they think I'm out here to kill you. And then obviously she's like, okay, well, we can use this to our advantage. Mm-hmm. So I thought that all this was, was just very nostalgia driven yeah. and served things in that capacity where it's like, we're just going to evoke emotion in the audience and leverage that as our vehicle yeah. to drive some of these points. What did, what did we all think of it, Tyler? Do you have any takeaways or any insights? I mean, I have a theory, but I think we're going to leave that towards the end of the episode. <laughs> but yeah, the I'm, end I'm a little worried. Episode. I'm a little worried about where this could all lead, but yeah. yeah. I mean, it was really <laughs> cute. It was endearing. Yeah. It made me want to go buy more Baby Yoda toys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the only thing I was thinking was like, here, Grogu, Grogu, come here, boy, you know? <laughs> Like you're mm-hmm. talking about it being a dog. And I mean, it is sort of like that where it's like this little treat. And he's like, do you want your toy? You know, um, 
it's sort of almost humiliating for him, I guess, like that he's so transfixed by this, by this little object. It, it's been built up to this point so much, and I don't know if this is what Tyler's theory is related to or not. So if it is, you can stop me and I'll hold off. But um, it, it just shows that uh, Jin, uh, Din has become a father figure too, mm-hmm. I guess. And that that's yep. cool. Because um, in a way, they're on similar journeys. I like the parallel that, that Jin's trying to get back to his people, his covert of, of Mandalorians, and and Grogu has got to get back to his people, the Jedi, and, and and they both have mysterious upbringings. They both were kind of orphans in a way. Um, so there's a lot going on with their storylines in that sort of uh, intertwining, which Star Wars, of course, loves to do. And, and so you're seeing it there, I think, most vividly with with uh, the little, um, what, do you, what is it, like a gear shifter ball, yeah, I guess? Yeah, it's like a shift yeah. knob. Yeah. That's what the, is it with Star Wars and like hood ornament things? You know, like you got like the dice and the Millennium Falcon and this little thing, and like I don't know, it's like there's sort well, of a, a weird George, subtext of this stuff. Toys, like we you can have sell to toys. remember, right? Well, it's it's the toy, it's the merchandise, but it's also the fact that George was a huge car fan, right? <laughs> right, like he crashed a car, nearly died. He his first movie was American Graffiti. Um, he's always into that, and this is and I know this from my car experience when I had a modified uh, uh, Japanese car that I was driving and those shift knobs are very, cause they're weighted mm-hmm. specifically for short throw thrower, like sticks and stuff. Yeah. So there is a real kind of, because it's made out of that tungsten or whatever the heavy metal and whatnot, that there's a real attention to detail there. Now, it's cynical me. I agree with you guys because I'm like, Lego has a life-size child toy out that's mm-hmm. holding that little ball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And I'm like, Stop. we were all kind of complaining about it that it was just one scene that kind of got memed out of the first season. But I, I cringed when I saw it in this episode. It ended up being a good usage of it. I'm, not, I'm just going to say when I first saw it, though, I'm like, oh, back with this little ball. Like, back with the shift knob. Really? And, you know, even having Grogu unscrewing it with the force, like that little squeak (laughs) as he takes it off the knob in the opening kind of sequence. I'm like, oh, man, this is, yeah, you'd think that Mm -hmm. there'd be some kind of grav well or something (laughs) keeping that thing on and not a threaded, like, full-on 1950s shifter. But I'm hoping that that's what it's all in reference to. But you guys, you know, you have valid points. You don't think there's anything greater to the symbolism of this ball? I mean, I've heard, I've read a lot about it that people think that it's, he's interested in it for X, Y, Z reason. Um, Tyler, I'm not stepping on your toes, am I? No, nope, none of this is, none of this is wrong. So I was reading one, one video I watched said that uh, the, the knob sort of looks like the Death Star. Mm-hmm. Ah. And so that Grogu is trying to like, you know, in his own way, communicate that like he was raised on the Death Star and like all this stuff. Oh. And I'm just like, man, you people really, really need to get laid. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. I don't know. I, I don't see anything beyond just a, this is going to sell a toy. Uh, well, I just I'll... see it as an item. Like, yeah. And yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Like, I know we've we've said it in the past, like. You know, sometimes some things are there just for the, you know, for, for, because it is what it is. Like, there's no hidden reason. It's there. Like, let's, let's move on, you know? Like, and I think this is one of them. Like, it's just, I don't really see a big thing. You know, it was shiny so that kid 
um, latched onto it early on the show, and they reintroduced it. If you notice, you know, when the episode starts, when they do the recap, you know, they go out of their way to dig deep, um, you know, to season one footage because things are going to come up, and this was one of them. The knob came up uh, because it was his way of, you know, being able to communicate back and forth uh, with Din Jarden. So it just, it's, it's just there, you know. It, it was just a toy. I don't really think it yeah, needs anything and, more. And you have to remember, like, Mando kind of tells him. It, it gives him an opportunity to lecture him. I told you, don't play with this. Yeah. Don't take it out of the ship. You know what I mean? Then he pockets it like a parent would. Like, yeah. it really sets up, again, that relationship that we talk about with the father and the son. Mm-hmm. As well, I'd like to bring about this idea, though, too, at this point. And that is... This was one of the things that I'm apprehensive about, but I have to. I feel like the internet is going to be talking about it when we get to tomorrow, when we're fully able to engage in this publicly. And that is, um, Din Jarden and his communication with with Grogu. Is Din Jarden possibly a force wielder or force sensitive? Because they're saying an awful lot without using a lot of language. like, And he's getting direct interpretations. As we saw with that episode, yeah. no, we can't have another pet. Right? It's, when when the, Grogu wants to grab the little lizard from the, from the frog people. Or, you know what I mean? Like, there's been a lot more communication expressed this season than last. And I know that on one side we could chalk it up to, he's just familiar with the child. Mm-hmm. But in another sense... Are we maybe seeing something deeper? I don't really want to go there. I don't want everybody to be force user, but I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts on that? That was actually roughly leading in to the theory I had. Um, mm. Which, I mean, you're getting into this weird area where we're talking about the meta narrative now. Of as we saw at the end of Last Jedi, was that, you know, kind of promise that anyone can be a force user and there's this potential to it. And we keep seeing all these things bring up to this larger meta plot about balancing the force. And we were talking before the show about the Bendu, which is like it's referenced here in this episode. Um, and yeah, it was, that's actually my theory is how much is this going to be the tension between the Mandalorian way and the Jedi way being similarly other sides of the same coin again. Because mm-hmm. a Jedi doesn't have to use a lightsaber. That's just a thing or a force user doesn't have to use a lightsaber, I should say. Mm-hmm. And we've seen a lot that don't and how much of, you know, all the BS that Mandalorians can do is just the same thing from a different direction. Right. I, I really hope they don't go that direction. Uh, oh, I'm I, not... The thing I like about the Mandalorian is that he he is not a force user, that he's this other character in the galaxy that's totally different from anything we've really seen before. And he has to oh, yeah. rely kind of on his wits and his, you know, his training and his his um techniques and his armor and equipment and stuff and i mean to me that's actually more compelling in a way than if he was like this magical force user which we've seen so many times before that it is so fresh that he's not um and i actually think that he's gonna end up like with his own struggle like because i think he's struggling right now with his background and being like part of this cult as it were of the death watch or what's it called the night watch i guess um they're calling it the watch the watch yeah child of the watch and then i think that he's going to be they they have to bring uh bo-katan back into the i call her boca raton they have to bring bo-katan back into this somehow with him and i i think that um he's going to end up going over to their side 
and then it's going to become yeah. a plot about Man- Mandalore more, and mm-hmm. that's going to become a larger part of the show, and that they're going to fall in love, and they're going to make baby Grogu's. That's my theory. Mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, for I, I want to jump back to... I didn't... I wasn't saying I wanted that to happen. I oh just, no, I know, I, I know. I'm just saying my yeah. opinion. Like I, I agree with you. Yeah. I oh yeah. Yeah. The the I, I do agree with you though that I think Bo-Katan. Like, there's no way that you introduce Bo-Katan and Ahsoka and you cast them and you choose big names, you do all this, and they don't come back for part of the meta plot. And I agree with you. I think that all these bits are going to come to the head as the culmination of season two or season three. Yeah, and and for you know rumor's sake as well, apparently. Rosario Dawson has signed quite a substantial deal for appearances as Ahsoka. Obviously, we don't have exact numbers, but um, we do know that there's several appearances, which leads to she's getting her own show. (laughs) Um, Yeah, is it that or is it, you know, I actually or is it many? Yeah, many appearances in this. Yeah, I I mean, I thought the the. The the I certainly know what the other show the spinoff. I thought the most likely spinoff was, to me, it was the um you do Mandalore separate from him under Bo Katan having to rebuild, and then you right. can have Ahsoka back and forth between all these different shows, and that's what I was like. That's what I kind of am feeling, but who knows? Yeah, and it's a possibility. We won't know until we actually get it in our grubby yeah. little eyeballs. <laughs> so you know, so we get this. You know, she goes in, takes out the guards, confronts yep. the magistrate, yep. throws down the pauldron, says, like, look, I've taken out your bounty hunter. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's, let's, where's your master? And then she orders, basically, she's like, kill her and kill these people. And th- she distracts all the, all the guards, except for the two that are going to, like, execute the people in the cages. And that's where Mando flies in. And we have the triumphant little... You know, like, I'm going to save you. And he works with the guy who eventually becomes the magistrate. It was probably the old magistrate in terms of freeing the people and getting them into safety while the battle goes on, making sure that they're not going to be crushed under the treads of tyranny here. Mm-hmm. And we have the Lothcat running around in the background, which was a Dave Filoni, another right. Rebels throwback. And yeah, I really, I, for me personally, it came down to this, this kind of, there's a lot of action, which was fun, but it really mm-hmm. came down to Ahsoka going in to face the magistrate and Din Jarden versus this Lieutenant Michael Bean. Right. And it's like, all right, this is so Western, so samurai, mm-hmm. like everything about it. You know, I, I know I've seen some, some recounts where people are like completely drawing the kill bill yeah. final fight. Uh, comparisons for those who haven't maybe gone back and done their diligence for this, the inspiration for a lot of these modern day, but I'm glad that they exist. That's for sure. Yeah. It's because it they're people. both women. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh, like it has nothing to do with kill bill. Like the, literally the only thing that's similar is that it's sort of a little bit samurai ish and they both yeah. don't have penises. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was, I just loved everything from so, the, the way that they dropped the cloaks, yeah. the way that they were standing off. Like, like all that was hitting me in the feels because I'm like, this is just paced really well. Like, it's not going to be, um, you know, Anakin versus 10,000 battle droids or, you know what I mean? Like that frantic, you know, spastic Yoda with the green lightsaber just bouncing all over the place and not even being able to 
see him on screen. He's just this blur. Like, I'm like, we're going to get a proper fight, very similar to episode four when Vader versus Obi-Wan. You know, this is going to be a fight. Like, I couldn't help but feel like the first time her and the magistrate clash and she's got the lightsabers on the staff. I'm like, if she slid one down, she could cut her hand off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it There was points at which I don't know how much these these the lightsabers are drawn to the Beskar because I know that that was something they referenced in Rebels where when lightsabers come together, they're attracted to one another. Mm-hmm. They they kind of stick and they get heavy. Like they're magnetized moment. kind of. Yeah. yeah. And I just was wondering like how much struggle Rosario Dawson or Ahsoka is going through to be fighting against this pure Beskar spear. Yeah. It's like that scene in Spaceballs when, like, their two Schwartzes, like, intertwine, yep. like, a piece of candy, and they have to, like, stay, uh, pull them apart. Yeah, That's I don't exactly know. I, 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 I love that scene. I thought it was a great fight. Um, It's great to see two women fighting in Star Wars. We don't get that uh, as often as, as maybe we could. It's, it's a different tactic, right? It's a different approach to telling the story of the fight that they used. And I like the fact that it was slow-paced, but it had some cool moves. Did you think th- – this is what I actually was sort of feeling in the back of my mind. I almost thought that they were going to have her kill Ahsoka. Like I thought this might have been it for her, you know, because she loses her lightsaber in the in the pond there, um, the carp pond. And that's always a bad sign, right? In these movies, like when you lose half your weapon, it's like, oh, no, like you, you're going to get stabbed. So I I actually for a minute, I feared for her life. And I was like, wow, I, I, that would be a bold move. Um, of course, they didn't end up doing that. But uh, how would you have felt if they had killed her off right then and there? I, I, I guess there's a, a point at which. I've accepted in Star Wars in order to tell a good story. Sometimes you got to kill people. Right. Yeah. So if, if, if Dave Filoni makes that decision in that moment, I'm going to be, I'm going to be like, Oh man, that was, that was, I'm disappointed because she could live for 200 years, her species. Right. So I'm like, um, I'm a little bit disappointed that we didn't get to see a full, a more fuller arc with her. But if that's what served the story, you know, goodness knows they can bring back the emperor. I guess they could bring back anybody. But I, I I I didn't really feel that she was in too much danger though, because I just felt like she just needed to get mad. Right. Mm-hmm. And then when you saw her with that one short lightsaber and she gets mad and she's like, Okay, I'm going for the kill now. I'm not playing around anymore. You've 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 best you've bested me, which surprises me in in, in a move. Now I'm gonna bring the whoop ass. And we get that ultimate reveal about Thrawn, right? Like, that's what this is all about. And this is what drives me nuts with this. Is that that Space Whales episode in Rebels that we all complained about. And then Dave made it such an integral part of the ending. Where the Space Whales that can navigate hyperspace come in and take Ezra and Thrawn away at the end of Rebels. And now we're tied into a story in The Mandalorian about trying to track down... I'm assuming tracking down Thrawn means we're also going to find Ezra, yep. which is probably her driver yep. for this, because I can't see her being obsessed with Thrawn other than the fact that she wants Ezra mm-hmm. and her and Sabine want Ezra. So to be honest, like this just all points to me, like Sabine's probably going to be in play at some point, maybe in the Mandalorian, maybe in another episode or yeah. another series. I don't know how they go about this. But I don't know. I, I'm I'm curious to see where this all goes. I've got, and I uh, really enjoyed the the fight with the uh, with Mando and and Michael Bean. Yes, I really like the dynamic of that 
being juxtaposed against the the sword and spear play where they're like well it's not a good thing to die for so well, it looks like i've lost you know i just thought that that was really well played i, yeah. I like that duel that gun duel right that 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 showdown yeah. what do you guys all think of this is a lot happening yeah, there, there for sure was a lot happening, but um, yeah, so going, taking a step back, really cool fight uh, between the Magistrate and Ahsoka, um, you know, I liked it, let's move on. Um, one thing that uh, I wanted to bring up was, you know, the show is called The Mandalorian, you know, we need to remember that, yeah. so we're going to see things from his point of view, from Din Jardin's point of view, so I really, really enjoyed the fact that we that we cut to his portion and his point of view while we're hearing in the background the noises of the actual fight. Um, I thought that was a really cool and clever and uh, pretty unique thing to do. Um, it was really uh, cool to kind of see that, so I really enjoyed that. The last thing I wanted to bring up was the whole, you know, watching this as a fan. You know, they, they mentioned Thrawn. Um, so, you know, that... that wasn't really there for 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 your average fan per se like they're not going to know who thrawn is just yet um you know a lot of google searches i'm sure on thrawn right now but one thing i noticed like that really you know that because uh, i think a lot of people were making the assumption that soka was looking for um what's his face uh gideon um you know mm -hmm. so i think the thrawn thing was kind of cool but it was kind of ruined um, slightly, but you know, you needed kind of that eagle eye, uh, and it, it's maybe because I was tired, um, so my eyes were just focused on the screen. But did you guys notice that the assassin drawings had the actual symbol of the Seventh Fleet on their head? Oh, I missed that. Yeah, oh, I, I saw they had that. something. I didn't realize that's what the symbol was. Yeah, it was the sharper uh, eyes than me, Boris. Yeah, it was the uh, Seventh Fleet symbol, um, and I hate myself that I saw that detail because, like, I'm I'm the type of person that I watch things for what they are, and you know, I I I, I make fun of people who catch these small little details uh, to that extent. But yeah, it's that's something I I noticed uh, while I was watching. So you know, not only or was that like okay, we're gonna get some Thrawn mention, or maybe that was just the the the, the Easter egg that they wanted to have there? Um, but it made sense, you know, that Thrawn kind of lent his forces to the magistrate. Uh, you know, yeah, for, these were HK eighty seven yep. assassin droids. Yep. A big upgrade over the HK forty sevens from Clone Wars, I assume. Yes, <laughs> I feel kind of weird, you know, like after that fight scene. I, I agree that the way they shot that fight scene was splendid i mean with the audio like hearing what's happening in the castle there and then din Djarin and the um lieutenant are talking i, I just that was done that really, was really really well it was unique right like i i because you know like i said it's the mandalorian so we're gonna see things from his point of view um so that's why i like, think i really really enjoyed that because like you don't know exactly what's going on, so you're kind of just going off of the noises that they're making with the actual fight. So it was kind of cool how they had that back and forth discussion as well. Like, you know, is this is this really worth it? Is this is this the hill we're gonna die on? Right. So, um, yeah. Do you feel like this show has just kicked in like to overdrive? Like, I feel like the first season and a half was basically like loading the rocket with fuel and like, here, watch as we close the door and here, watch as we open our like uh, freeze dried uh, meals, you know, and it's like not much really happened. But now it's like we've got 
the plot with uh, Din Djarin and the child. We've got Ahsoka Tano and Grand Admiral Thrawn. We've got um, the uh, uh, Bo-Katan and the other Mandalorian plot and, and saving Mandalore. And we've also got the Grand Admiral Thrawn and we've got Moff Gideon. And we've got, I mean, all this stuff, the, the cloning and the, you know, there's so much that's happened in the last two episodes that it's just, it's almost dizzying. I almost want just like an episode of like uh, the, the child and Mandalorian next just making peanut butter sandwiches or something to like just take a breath and like process all of this well we're on the run out now because we're, we're basically looking at next episode six and then the final two episodes being probably one continuous episode that's split somewhere in the middle much like last year's final right yeah. where we were they're gonna cliffhang it <clears throat> that I type think- of scenario so and i think tython here is basically where Ahsoka tells him, like, look, you know, we get that sad moment where Din goes back to collect the baby, right? She gives him the spear and she says it belongs with the Mandalorian. He goes back to collect Grogu to, you know, basically try and wake him up and whatnot, which I think was very touching again. Very, very feely moment where it's like, oh, he's going to give up the kid, right? Like, oh, apparently there was a little bit more to this deal. And then and then Ahsoka shows up and says, nah, just take him to Tython. And put him on the seeing stone and you know we'll, we'll, it let him choose what he wants right and i think there's a real element here where we're probably going to see him choose to just stay with the mando right yeah. mandalorian and just be like i don't want to call the force into this but if he does pull the force out there's an equal chance that you might get a dark side person mm-hmm. what i'm worried about guys so what happens if it's freaking Luke Skywalker? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's uh, something I was thinking of, even though we might see in this episode. Uh, like some people were talking about that, that like he'd find uh, Ahsoka, but uh, then she would be like, well, we got to bring him to Yoda. And then she would find out on Dagobah that he was dead and but Luke uh, would be there. Or something. I don't know. I mean, yeah. we talked about this on my podcast uh, a little bit as well. I mean, that people will just absolutely lose their collective minds if we see a de-aged like luke skywalker and i'm not sure for the good or for the better i it just yeah uh, we need uh, to move i just don't know if we want to go there the I skywalkers mean, <laughs> like in general i'm done with the Skywalkers. Yeah. i don't want them anywhere near this property like let's not like we're in such a good position right now with this show um you know with rebels and clone wars and lure back into this series you know we're in a, such a good spot you know we're finally building the star wars world um properly i just let's not taint it with the skywalkers i'm i'm over it i'm done let's move on you know i'm ready to break up yeah. with them i'm i am 110 fearful of bringing luke i think that that's low-hanging fruit yeah i think that it really is playing to a a, a star wars audience that Honestly, we need to move past it. We need to to explore these nitty gritty kind of things. It's it's bad enough that we're getting these these nostalgic callbacks with Ahsoka and Bo Katan, like these fringed animated characters. It's bad enough that we're we're tapping into that, but those are things that Dave had direct control over, right? Luke is represents his behemoth of emotional baggage for people. And it's just going to, I don't know, I, I see it as a chaotic move if they do that. Mm. The one reason I don't think... Go ahead. The one reason I don't think it's going to happen is because, first of all, I don't think they're going to recast Luke Skywalker. That just would be 
yeah. yeah, suicide. And then the de-aging technology. I mean, for for little shots here and there, if they were going to do like a little quick like hologram thing or something like that, they could probably pull that off. But if they're going to actually have like stand in Mark Hamill de-age like that, you're talking serious cash to do those mm-hmm. effects. Still. Like, I mean, it's it's definitely an uh, increase in the budget. And this show has shot pretty efficiently. I mean, it is an expensive show, but they have not actually done tons and tons of CG for, like, character work, you know? It's mm-hmm. basically been masks and stuff. I mean, with the exception of a few characters who are CG, like the Liku, they were done practically. Like, I just, I'm not sure they're going to want to, for budgetary reasons itself, bring them into that um so i'm really hopeful that you're right that we're done with a skywalker story it's not going to intersect here with mandalorian yeah yeah i uh, tyler i i'll i agree with all this i have nothing to add <laughs> oh there you <laughs> go here, so I'm like, yeah yeah we uh-huh. have reached the level of syncophantic fandom yes <laughs> <laughs> we've all synced our so cycles one, one thing that you brought up duper was her leku i thought that they'd be a little bit longer I just thought that she'd be in the. I just found it was just a weird decision because in Rebels, they seem to be a little bit longer. I don't know if maybe there was a practical reason for that where they're just like, eh, when they get to that length, then it's hard yeah, for there Rosario was Dawson. Actually, yeah, I read that they needed to make them a little shorter just for the actor's comfort level and to be okay. able to perform like freely. Uh, that they experimented with different lengths, but like, yeah, just they, they couldn't keep them. She they, she couldn't shoot comfortably what she had to do and have them be like really really long, right? Okay, good. Well, there's a reason for it. So, you know, we're back into we're back into legend stuff now with with Tython, right? And, and the the most of the stuff that we see about the Jedi and the Jedi Order, um, which is different from the Jedi's, and they're more like gray Jedi's and whatnot. We're getting back into these themes that always seem to come up with Dave Filoni's kind of things and he references them pretty heavy-handedly in in clone wars with the type of ship that gets you know that's used in the mortis arc you know the moons the light side moon the dark side moon tyler and i were discussing a little bit of this beforehand so i'm hoping that we get a little more explore exploration of this when we do get to tython but maybe not in a heavy-handed way maybe just referenced and the one thing that is exciting is that all this was canonized in an rpg game yeah, which I think we're all finding out on this podcast drives an awful lot of canon. Um, so yeah, with with Keith Capel and whatnot being on here and giving us a great insight into the contributions that those those creatives do. Um, yeah, it's going to be a wild ride. I don't know. Like, do we get the Tython at the end of the season, or is it something that we aspire to? Because there's a lot of Moff Gideon that has to come up. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, there's just so much going on right now. It's like there's so many possibilities, um, so many paths we can take overall, and I don't know which way we're gonna go. And I think that's part of what I'm enjoying. You know, it, it's it's we're almost walking on eggshells with too many plot points, um, but at the same time, it keeps it keeps us as the viewers guessing. You know, as yeah, deep Star Wars dorks. Like, you know, it's keeping us guessing. So, and that's one thing I really appreciate about this show. Um, and, I, you know, I kind of want to talk to a, a you know, but it's hard to actually find someone who isn't a Star Wars geek in some shape, way, or form that watches the show. You know, you're not going to mm-hmm. find a, a, a lot of casual people watching this per se. Um, but I kind of, and I know there are. I'm not saying there aren't. I know there are. But I kind of really want to take 
their feedback and kind of hear what they have to say because you know is this show starting to lose them are we getting too deep into the canon are we like there's you know i have a lot of questions for someone who's just watching the show for what it is and kind of knows of some of the other stuff but it isn't deep like we are like we're knee deep in it right like you know we're, we're oh yeah we're we're, we're, we're we're talking dark troopers. We're talking the dark saber. We're talking, you know, Tycon or Tython. We're talking Ahsoka. We're talking, you know, digital librarian steel Grogu. Like, you know, this is stuff that my niece, when she watches it is not concerned about this stuff. She found the first season was almost too much into geek world. Yeah. So that's, that's right? exactly it. That's, that's why I want to know, like, you know, and then how, how are you going to explain the, the Pergil to someone like, you know, the, like how 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 are you gonna explain that to someone who doesn't watch or never watched Rebels? What that thing is and how that makes sense? Because it doesn't even make sense to a lot of Star Wars fans. So how are you gonna explain something like that to the average person? Um, you know yeah. what are, what's what are you yours guys's? Now I'm from Hamilton. Take on on that. Like, or is it too much? Or you know, are, are we happy with kind of how? deep knee deep to show us i i mean this has always been one of the questions about star wars and star wars i think part of the reason it's it's stuck around is it's always had this weird capacity to have a bunch of stuff that's that's in canon that is never directly told that we all know um i mean it, how many people knew what a mandalorian was before the show who never watched Clone Wars and never watched Rebels was bizarre. And yeah. and I think you even see it, like I, I see it in my day job, where then people come in and they're like, I'm watching Mandalorian. And there's a large enough proportion of them that rather than getting turned off are like, I need to go get a book to figure out what's going on here now. And they're excited about it <laughs> versus like, oh, I think that's I think that's part of it too. Like, you know, I made a joke earlier, like, you know, I bet you that the Google searches for Thrawn was high. But this is also a brilliant way of selling products, you know? People are now going to go into the back catalog on Disney Plus and try to find those episodes. Um, it would be really cool if Disney actually put like episodes featuring, you know, Thrawn or yeah. episodes featuring Ahsoka or whatever, like, you know, key episodes that people can watch. I think that would be a really cool feature that other streaming services have. Um, the And I think it, it, it also adds like, you know, people are now going to go back and maybe read the comics, maybe read the Thrawn books. So it's a way of kind of touching on all of these things. And if you care enough, you're going to do the legwork and find out more. That's personally what I think. What, what are your thoughts, uh, Duper? You know, I think you can be you can kind of react two different ways. Uh, one is you can be really, really cynical and you can see this as just Disney appropriating, you know, years and years of fans uh, uh, things that they got so into and, and, you know, from the EU and stuff. And this is like, you know, the lowest common denominator of Disney trying to, like, bring in these little things and just fan service, fan service. Um, I mean, I think that's like a very cynical reading of it, but then there's also like a very sensitive or benevolent way of reading it where it's like, this is like Dave Filoni's love letter to star Wars fans. You know, yeah. this is him saying, 
look, I am a fan. Uh, everyone who's working on the show at this level is a fan. Um, and we're just actually doing what we would always wanted to do with Star Wars. And I mean, the fact that they're they're able to play with these things and bring them together, you know, it, it's cool. Like this is stuff that people wanted to see for for years and years and years. My own feeling on it is that the answer is that it's probably both, you know, like <laughs> uh, Disney is making a bazillion dollars off of this kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, it's very conscious that they're they're teasing these little things. But also, it's great to be able to do this. Like the the live action television show affords different things like you can't go into all these little hints and teasers in a movie, right? Like, because yep. a movie sort yeah. of has to stand on its own, and you can't spend, like, half a season building up, like, the lore of the Mandalorians in a movie. It just has to go, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's part of, that's probably part of it, too, is that, you know, if, if they had made a show about live-action Star Wars in, like, eight, you know, 1984 or something, <laughs> it, it wouldn't have been like this. There wouldn't have been this buildup of, Mount, you know, Star Wars Mountain would be, you know, Star Wars Hill. And, yeah. uh, you know, we wouldn't have had all this stuff. So it's kind of the right time to do this now, I think, because it's like a – it's like you know, Star Wars 3.0, right? We've gone through the first generation, the second generation, and now it's only completely different again, which yeah. I think is awesome. So, I yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a cool thing. Yeah. And I think that, that uh, you know, kind of wraps the episode. Mm. I just want to, Duper, let people know where they can find you on the internet. Right. So um, I uh, do two podcasts with FakingStarWars.net. We're known for being the, the finest uh, comedy, parody, and satire in the Star Wars galaxy. We've been running the site now for uh, about, oh, five or six years. Podcast has been rolling for uh, three years now. Uh, Faking Star Wars Radio is one of them. And then I'm doing another one with Gemma the Hutt uh, <laughs> called The Mando Roundup. Those episodes are really quick, really spicy. We try to keep it under 20 minutes. And they're, they're not really recaps. They're more our humorous take on things. Um, we don't mm-hmm. we don't necessarily just break things down. Uh, we try to do something completely different and weird and zany. Um, and then we're we're working with a sponsor right now as well, which I, I want to shout out. Uh, if you go to manscaped.com uh, and use the code FSW radio, all in caps, we can get you a 20 percent discount and free shipping on anything you need for shaving those Death Stars down there. And I can tell you it is a fantastic <laughs> product. I'm not just a show for them. They actually shipped it to me and I have used it. And it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So yeah, check that out too. So uh, the the word on the street is if we get enough people to use that code, we'll get a permanent contract, which would help uh, you know production for the podcast as well. So yeah, but yeah, we're just we're like you guys. I mean, we you know we're not a huge podcast either, but we've been doing this for a while, and we we just love love the Star Wars thing, and we love doing something a little creative and weird in that in that uh, vein. So That's awesome. It's so awesome. Uh, yeah, and uh, every little bit helps. So yeah, go check out that manscape. <laughs> it's uh, hilarious, right? I never right. thought I'd be a shill for a nut shaver, but here I am, and I'm loving it. So it's so kind of an important thing. I know yep. we talked about because you asked if you can do the shut. I'm like, yeah, sure, man. We should have been a little more creative. Like right in the middle of the episode, we should have just been. Are you getting itchy down there? Well, I know. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> it's your. No, I don't, and I don't Tyler quits my sponsor, but like I do. Yeah, you let me share it at least because everyone. Oh, yeah. Of course. Like, I, I've heard so much about this thing with the ceramic blade. Yes. Right? Like, like I, I know to the point where I'm like, I'm I'm so aware of this product. And I'm like, oh, man, like that ceramic blade is actually a kind of a cool thing because they send you new <laughs> ceramic blades when you subscribe to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was pretty cool, man. I'm Phil, like, wow. are you sponsored by them too? <laughs> no, I'm just careful about what my nuts look like. <laughs> 
yeah, it actually was a pleasant experience, I have to say. You know, yeah. uh, I, you I was ad? A... Yes, no. I you're an ad. I just thought it was funny. Like the, the the thing the thing about that particular brand is that they encourage the humor, Absolutely. which I think is always great because it, it, it really match. sucks if it's going to be like a VPN or something, right? And you're like, oh, you better get Express VPN, and otherwise, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, man, that 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 product actually makes me laugh every time i hear hey, somebody are you like, guys hungry you know do Duper's you guys got need to this. sign up to omaha steaks like let's keep yeah, going with this guys <laughs> but duper but duper even had like you know you, you got to be careful around your death stars you know like, yes yeah. that was hilarious <laughs> but yeah. it's a lot of fun all it's right so we've fun. talked about manscaping we've talked about yoda's fucking we've talked about a lot of other stuff in this episode i don't even know where else we can go with this episode um but I think, as Phil said, I think it's a good time to wrap up. Uh, so, Phil, how about you tell our awesome listeners where they can send any feedback, where they can get the code for manscaping and whatnot. Certainly. You can find us on the internet at www.itscanonpodcast.com. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at It's Canon Podcast. You can email us at show at itscanonpodcast.com. You can subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, Amazon, Really, anywhere you find podcasts, you're going to find us. If you like what you hear, please smash a subscribe button and leave a rate and review for us. It's greatly appreciated. And yeah, thanks so much for all your support. All right, that's it. I think we're at a good place right now to call it a day. So Storm Duper, thank you so much for joining us. It is honestly a pleasure. We're hopefully going to have you back, chat more Star Wars, chat random geek stuff too. You know, we're not just a Star Wars podcast, even though that's what it feels like sometimes. Um, But thank you again for joining us. Uh, You know, as we talked about all things Mandalorian, season two, chapter, or season two, episode five, chapter 12. Chapter 13. Chapter Thanks 13. for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah. I would love to come back. And you guys, uh, you know, you're welcome to come come on my cast sometime if you if you want. So, And yeah. I just want to say, I'm uh, at StormDuper on Twitter, by the way, if people Excellent. want to follow me. So. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right, guys. It's Monday. Let's call it a day. So thank you so much. We are the It's Cannon Podcast. Good night. Good night.